Welcome to the Collector's Corner. I'm Elliot McAvoy here with Stephen Mathias. Hello. My best friend. And today we will be talking about history, or more specifically, our favorite moments and or events that took place in the past. Very, very small category. Yeah. Not a lot to choose from whatsoever. (laughs) What are you supposed to do with, you know, four billion years of things that have happened. Not not a narrow topic at all. Yeah. But one of my favorite topics to talk about. I was going to be a history teacher once upon a time. I was in a master's program to be a high school history teacher. So uh, ran out of money, as you do. (laughs) College is expensive. College is very expensive. I've always loved history. Um, I first started loving history in the seventh grade. I was homeschooled because school was giving me massive depression. So uh, my mom enrolled me in a homeschool program and history was one of my favorite subjects to learn because I got to pretend to be a journalist um, in early America um, and write about the things that were taking place then. And I learned all about, you know, the, the. World War Two, World War One, Civil War, just huge events like that, and I just really loved it. Yeah, it always seems that uh, history in our oh, cat is attacking the tin foil we're using to protect the screen. Sorry if you heard that in the background. I uh, thought so it's always uh, interesting to me, and by interesting, I mean infuriating that history. St- in our culture seems always to be framed around two things war and important white men so true yeah very much uh, dislike that aspect of it and you know for myself didn't even realize what was going on until I was through school and started uh, learning how to be a teacher and that's when I started seeing that Oh my goodness, Every all of our history is so whitewashed. Yeah. And uh, and also straight-washed. And <laughs> yeah. uh, also... Uh, male. Male-washed. Uh, I, I'm coining these terms as I go. <laughs> and so uh, I'm going to do my best today to not go that route and to talk a little bit about uh, these famous historical events from... A more diverse perspective. Even though I am a cis white male, I uh, will have to do my part to dispel the issues that we were just talking about. <laughs> so I'll start out. Um, one of my favorite moments in history was uh, the Boston Tea Party because it was like a great screw you to England for taxing. And who doesn't like doing that? Right? Like, flipping the bird, man. (laughs) Well, specifically, just like, to England. Yeah. Yeah. I really like it because it was just a huge rebellion that, when you look back on it, it it's just kind of hilarious. They're just throwing crates of tea over the ocean because they didn't want to be taxed. Yeah, it seems kind of extreme. Just actually. a little bit, but it was funny. You know what really uh, amuses me though, is uh, 
what must the Boston Harbor have tasted like for right? a while after that? That's what I was thinking because it wasn't like tea bags that they were throwing over. It was just like blocks of tea that you just shaved a little bit off of. And it was like years and years worth of tea that they were just chucking into the ocean. So the ocean had to have tasted like really salted tea. And I don't know, maybe instead of paying the tax, they just scooped up some seawater and started drinking tea. Yeah, that would be gross. Just a little bit. Keep talking about that, though. Talk about uh, why it was such a great act of rebellion. No one likes taxes. Taxes are dumb. I hate doing my taxes every year, by the way. Who doesn't, though? I really, really am not a fan. Who is, though? Uh, the IRS. They don't count. <laughs> they take all of our money. But, yeah, I mean, but what what made it such a great act of rebellion, though? I mean, think about it. It's, um... It wasn't violent. No, it wasn't. Part it of the was, reason I liked it, it wasn't violent. It's a peaceful protest. Um, it was... Just this symbolic, like, well, instead of buying your stuff that we're that you're taxing us for, we're just gonna chuck it overboard because we'd rather go without tea, which is a really big deal for British people, and <laughs> they were British citizens at the time, right? So yeah, we'd rather go without tea than pay taxes. That was uh, that's kind of a big deal. No taxation without representation. Mm-hmm. I forgot that line. I was trying to think of it. Like there was a catchphrase. There was a catchphrase, and I can't remember it. No taxation without representation. And honestly, I prefer coffee to tea. I'm sure most Americans do, because coffee is way better than tea. Well, speaking of coffee, there you have your uh, second. Yeah, my second point, one is the Enlightenment, because it was just kind of the coffee era where coffee was this big deal. And people were like, should coffee be illegal because the caffeine is a drug? And uh, people were like, no, it's not really a drug. It stimulates the brain. And that just created a whole bunch of art that is so popular today. You're blaming all of Renaissance art on coffee. Pretty much. What a view of the Enlightenment. All of this is because of Starbucks. Not Starbucks. Starbucks sucks. Star sucks. Star sucks. That's right. Not Starbucks. Star sucks. There goes a big chunk of our audience right there. Sorry. All like four people who listen to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, the Enlightenment was just an incredible time of uh, innovation. Mm-hmm. And uh, you might be able to hear Fry in the background. He wants out. We're not letting him out. Fry's a cat, by the way. It's not a French fry. And he's climbing the screen. So, while I get the cat off the screen, Stephen, will you talk about your fascination with World War II? I can talk about my fascination with the Enlightenment. Or that. (laughs) That is what we were talking about. I think it's very interesting that the Enlightenment is really a product of people being able to be comfortable for the first time in hundreds of years. 
Hold on one second. Sorry about that. Cats will be cats. Um, I think that the what's interesting about the Enlightenment is that it's a product of people being able to be comfortable for the first time in hundreds of years. Um, specifically, just technology that allowed people to do things like bathe regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, certain technologies that have been gone for hundreds of years were coming back. You know, the uh, Holy Roman Empire was descended from the original Roman Empire, but the Roman Empire crumbled around uh, 550-ish BCE. uh, Not BCE, sorry. um, CE, Common Era. used to be AD, now it's CE. (laughs) Um, BCE that's before the common era Um, around 500 550 CE the uh, Roman Empire is in shambles Mm -hmm. and then we have several hundred years where we know very little about what happened and we call those the dark ages and then starting around 900 ish 1000 CE we have the Middle Ages, which lasts for about four and a, four and a half centuries. Mm-hmm. Um, and then finally, by near the end of the 1400s, the Renaissance happens. And in the classical period during the Roman Empire and before, there's technologies that we uh, haven't we're pretty sure they had technologies that we have not discovered yet. Mm-hmm. Discovered that they had. Yeah. Is what I mean. And when the Roman Empire fell, these technologies, the irrigation techniques, things like that, uh, fell into obscurity and people essentially had to start over. Mm-hmm. Essentially had to start over. So the Renaissance is the product of that. You know, we're looking almost a thousand years after the fall of the Roman Empire, at least 900 years. Mm-hmm. People are finally getting back to some of the technologies that they had. And, you know, the comfortability of life results in people having more time to invent and more time to create art mm-hmm. and literature and music. Yeah. And, uh, coffee. Coffee. Coffee is very important to me. Alright. Well, let's go on to your third one, Mac. When I was in, uh, I can't remember if it was freshman year or sophomore year uh, of high school, I read a book. No, it was sophomore year, yeah. I was in advanced English because I am an advanced human being. Um, I read Animal Farm by George Orwell, and it's just this beautiful analogy of communism and how it came came into power and what sort of things the pigs did to rise to the top of the food chain. The pigs in the book 
pigs in real life. Clarification. <laughs> the pigs aren't in charge of Russia. No, and we're not calling all Russian people pigs. No, of course not. Just Vladimir Putin. <laughs> Just Putin. Yep, I'm going to be assassinated in my sleep for saying that. So, this whole idea of the dangers of communism that Animal Farm is putting out, do you think they're founded? I think they are. How so? Give me a, give me a few examples. Well, I mean, the whole idea is that everyone should be equal except for the people on the top. And it's it doesn't actually work. Like the theory that everyone is equal is a good good idea in theory, but when actually put into action it doesn't work. Well, isn't everybody equal? I mean that's the foundation of our constitution. I mean in theory, but it's not really how life works. Like people still degrade other human beings, think they're less than human, um white cis men have much more say in the world than, say, a black woman does. Uh, okay, I, I see what you're saying, because what I, I was trying to get at is that, regardless of the current power structure, people are supposed to be equal. Supposed to be, yeah. That we, that we are equal, but there are people who take advantage of that, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think what George Orwell was getting across with Animal Farm was simply that um that age-old adage that uh, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Mm-hmm. And the idea of this communist state uh, where all of the animals had equal say was fated to crumble because naturally there would always be someone who would seize power or want the power for themselves. Mm-hmm. And eventually that's exactly what happened in the Soviet Union. So, However, we see many things like that happen with different governments besides communism as well, which leads us into my favorite historical time periods. World War II. Yes. World War II and specifically the uh, Nazis' rise to power. And the dangers of nationalism. Um, there's a little thing, let me see if I can find it here, that really hammers at home for me. And I think I did share it myself on Facebook, so let me see if it's on my page. By the way, if you wanted to add him on Facebook, his name is Stephen Matthias. And I probably will not... Uh, Accept your friend request because it's very, because uh, I'm, I'm very uh, particular. Privated. Private. However, if you're interested in my public persona, uh, you're more than welcome to find my page, Stephen Matthias, guitarist, um, where I talk guitar and uh, teaching and guitar teaching and things like that, and also. Um, Never Monday band at, on Facebook. Yeah, it's the band we're in. It's a blues rock band. Um, he's the uh, 
leader of the band, uh, does all the writing, the singing, he's the lead guitarist, he's very good at it, um, kind of wants you. to share the power, but uh, no one will let him because he's such a great leader. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Undeserved praise. Anyway, um, let's see if I can pull this up here, I'm trying to see who shared it earlier today. But it seems like I can't find it. Anyway, there's this uh, Dangers of Fascism uh, list. Can you remember what it said? I remember most of it. But... It was like a list of the um, of the signs of fascism. Here we go. Here we go. Early warning signs of fascism. Powerful and continuing nationalism. Disdain for human rights. Identification of enemies as a unifying cause. Supremacy of the military. Rampant sexism. Controlled mass media. Obsession with national security. Religion and government intertwined. Corporate power protected. Labor power suppressed. Disdain for intellectuals and the arts. Obsession with crime and punishment. Rampant cronyism and corruption and fraudulent elections. These things all harm hallmarks of fascism. Does that sound familiar to any of you? It sounds very familiar to me. Now, our audience is probably split half and half. Half of them are probably thinking, oh, Nazi Germany. And the other half are probably thinking, oh, America currently. Um, and this is why I, I didn't want to talk specifically about World War II. I, I love World War II. My grandfather was, both of them, both of my grandfathers were in World War II. Uh, one on my mom's side was in the Navy. Mm-hmm. And uh, my the other one on my dad's side was in the artillery in Europe. And I've spent a lot of uh, my free time, my entire life, learning about World War II and the rise of Nazism specifically. Even though I, I know plenty about the Pacific Theater as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a history buff after all. Which is kind of why we're doing this whole history podcast. I don't want to control the conversation as I seem to always do but in terms of what happened with the Nazis rising to power Hitler was not installed by a regime he wasn't this Revolutionary who uh, seized power in a coup, government coup, he was elected. Mm-hmm. And slowly but, sure, but surely, he started stripping away all these rights and protections for peoples that uh, the German chancellery had placed there to protect Jews and to protect uh, non Aryans. Mm hmm. And slowly but surely, you see what happened. 
right now, we are in a very dangerous time in our country. And I, I know that we... You might have been coming to the Collector's Corner because the last episode was about TV shows. And the episode before that was about horror movies. And now you're getting a political discourse. Well, we've got <laughs> you now. Um... Right now in our country, something very scary is going on. Donald Trump ran on the same platform, almost exactly the same platform, that Adolf Hitler uh, campaigned on in Germany in the 20s and 30s. Almost exactly the same. Nationalism about how our country is terrible and needs to be made great again. Hitler had the same thing. Hitler blamed the Jews for... Uh, Germany's economic troubles Trump has blamed illegal, he says illegal immigrants, non-documented people and Hispanic people, he's blamed them which is kind of offensive to me, personally oh yeah, you're like a quarter Hispanic yeah so that's uh, that's another thing he did now we're talking about detaining people without cause and doing cruel things like separating children from their families the exact sort of thing that Hitler did just a couple days ago Donald Trump signed an order that he said was designed to sorry if you hear that shh, it's uh, my lighter, I'm smoking a cigar uh, he signed an order that's designed he said to end the practice of separating children from their families but when you read that order much more closely you'll see some really disturbing terminology there. For instance, he's talking about now detaining entire families, and the the executive order itself was aimed at uh, disrupting an Obama-era statute and repealing an Obama-era statute that didn't allow any sort of detention of non-documented persons and families longer than 20 days. He wants to make that detention indefinite, in uh, detention centers, essentially creating internment camps in this country for the first time since World War II when Franklin Delano Roosevelt put Japanese Americans in internment camps. For the longest time, we've considered that one of the darkest parts of our history, um, next to slavery. Mm -hmm. And now we're about to do it again. Um, Well, what's even more dangerous than that is something I just saw in the news today. And uh, it seems not as problematic, but it's, I believe, just as insidious. In fact, it's almost even more so. Um, The White House has announced a proposed revamp of the federal government, including a consolidation of social safety net programs. Uh, They... The White House has proposed an overhaul of the federal government that would merge the labor and education departments and consolidate a slew of social safety net programs under a renamed health agency and reorganize federal food and safety functions. This, to me, it, it might sound like, oh, well, they're just, like, putting everything under one umbrella. But to me, and I hope to you, too, listening to this, it sounds a whole lot like a consolidation of power. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's just dressed up in a fancy way of saying, oh, well, you know, we're, instead of having a million different programs, we're going to make them 
put a bunch of them into like this one program, etc. But the big danger there is merging the labor and education departments. I don't know anybody who would say that running workers' unions and running schools are similar. Right. Teachers do have unions, but teaching children is far different than being in a union. Mm-hmm. It's a separate thing. And putting these together is starting to make it look a whole lot like we can control everything from one place. Yeah. Sort of thing. So, do not be fooled. The same things that were happening in Nazi Germany are happening in the United States. Um and when your president attacks great democratic leaders like Justin Trudeau uh, who's prime minister of Canada or Angela Merkel who's prime minister of Germany but congratulates dictators like Kim Jong Un mm-hmm. and Xi Jinping mm-hmm. and pulls out of things like the UN Human Rights Council mm-hmm. You have to ask these questions. Of course. So, World War II uh, is one of my favorites, but I've used it as a segue to discuss the social justice issues going on in our country. And believe me, it is a uh, it is a crisis right For now. For sure, yeah. Yeah. And it seems like they're pulling it off right under a lot of people's noses. Mm-hmm. The best thing you can do is vote. Kick and scream about it. Kick and scream about all of it. And every election, midterm or general, or even the tiny elections in your own little district, vote every single time. It'll make a difference. It really will. Yep. My cigar's gone out again because I've talked too much. What do you think, Mac? I think you're completely right how, uh, I don't know a whole lot about the Civil War, or not the Civil War, the World War II, um, I did study it, um, in school, but I do see a lot of similarities between Trump and Hitler, and it's kind of scary, uh, how similar they behave and how they act. Yeah, it's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. So let's uh, kind of switch gears here. You uh, mentioned also liking the American Civil War. Yes, the American Civil War. This is a uh, subject that is uh, pretty dear to me for a number of reasons. Why? Well, one, um, I was just obsessed with everything about the Civil War from about, like, 7th grade through ninth grade. Mm-hmm. You know, I... Just learned everything, absolutely, absolutely everything I could. On family trips, I got my family to take me to the famous Civil War battlefields because uh, my family lives out east, my extended family, and so I would get to do road trips in the summers. So we'd see famous battlefields and things like that. Um, and I want to get this out of the way first. I am not a southern sympathizer uh, at all. And I am not a defender of slavery. Um, I feel like I have to get that out of the way before I say that my parents are from Virginia and Kentucky specifically. Mm-hmm. 
So even though I have an attachment to the South in that way, I am also, uh, I'm very Washingtonian (laughs) and, uh, I am very much, uh, against the idea of slavery and all of the evil that it represented. Uh, that being said, let's, let's discuss, uh, this rejection of slavery in the Civil War and the way the Civil War is presented. Alright. You usually hear two, uh, seemingly conflicting viewpoints. One, from most reasonable people, you hear that the Civil War was about slavery. Mm Mm-hmm. And the stopping of slavery. Yeah. On the other hand, people who are like good old boys from down south, <laughs> yeah, they'll uh, they'll argue that the war was about states' rights. Mm. And the thing is, can I, can I say this on this por- on this podcast? Yeah. That's horseshit. All right. What's that? Because anyone making that concept clearly does not understand what they're talking about. And that's why I'm going to go ahead and say yes. From the Southern point of view, the Civil War was about their state's rights. But it's not in the way that these people who argue that it wasn't about slavery... Is, um, it's, it's not in that same way. The biggest right they were fighting for was the right to own slaves. Mm-hmm. And, uh... So either way you slice it, it was still about slavery. Yeah. However, saying that the Civil War was all about slavery is also kind of inaccurate. Because... It wasn't started over abolition. Abolition wasn't even the intended outcome of the conflict. It's something that happened along the way as an as a natural course of things. So you can forget all of your white savior bullshit. And that's that's one of the things that makes me so furious, is that the narrative of the Civil War is often presented as good white people fighting bad white people to free black people. Mm-hmm. And that is an, a complete whitewashing yeah. of the conflict. It ignores the fact that some of the most incredible stories that come out of this conflict involve black soldiers fighting for the Union as free men. Uh, it also ignores the fact that freed black men and other people as well, who weren't black, but especially freed black men and freed black women, were fighting for abolition before the Civil War began. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, it did start, the secession did of uh, the South did start with the election of Abraham Lincoln, who even though he wasn't a hardline abolitionist, he didn't believe in total abolition. That's uh, also a, a myth that gets perpetuated by trying to paint him as the 
best president who ever lived, and he was a fantastic president, but he was his very election caused a schism in the country. So if you think that Donald Trump was an upset, you gotta look at Abe Lincoln's election. Mm-hmm. The fact that he won the election caused the uh, South to secede. Mm-hmm. He wasn't a hardline abolitionist, he, but he did believe in abolition over time. And the South seceded because they thought that the federal government was getting too big mm-hmm. and was going to start controlling what they could and couldn't do in their economy, which was built on slaves. Right. And at the time, states' governments had a lot more autonomy than they do now. So the fact that the Union... The North, for those of you who aren't familiar with the nomenclature, won the conflict means that now we do have a strong federal government. Mm-hmm. That uh, And that state governments have less power than they did at this time. So when we're discussing states' rights, a lot of people who are making that argument don't even understand the concept of the kind of states' rights that the South was... Uh, trying to maintain mm-hmm. um, but I just uh, one one thing that I just came out of my study of the Civil War is how much of a whitewashed conflict it is especially when um, that people of color who've been enslaved in this country for 200 years at that point um, <laughs> were the centerpiece of it and we still get this problematic white savior mm-hmm. uh, depiction of white men going off to free black men. Mm-hmm. Um, and I... Ugh, it gives me a bad <laughs> taste in my mouth. Yeah. Yeah. So. That's, that's that. And finally, you are also a big rock and roll fan, aren't you? Oh, well, that's an understatement. Yeah, I suppose that uh, that if I had to pick my favorite history, say history of music, and uh, specifically the history of rock and roll, and the rock and roll era that I, I define as uh, about 1962 to 1970, um, there was definitely rock and roll music before 1962. However... It's just uh, not quite the same. You know, you had Elvis Presley, you had uh, Chubby Checker, Fats Domino, uh, Buddy Holly, mm-hmm. Big Bopper. You know, those guys making music. Little Richard uh, in the 50s. But rock and roll, as we truly understand it, was a 60s phenomenon. And... Uh, Starting with the Beatles uh, becoming popular in England around 1962, and the Beach Boys popular in the United States around the same time, then more bands starting to play music that featured more guitar and mm-hmm. such, and and then of course uh, through the end of the 60s uh, after after Woodstock and uh, the kind of culmination of the hippie counterculture movement. And the death of many of these great rock stars around that time. Um, For better or worse, uh, some of the most iconic stars died really young. Uh, Probably one of my favorite bands of all time is The Doors and Jim Morrison 
died 27 in a bathtub in Paris mm. in 1971, I do believe. Um, their last album released in 1970, L.A. Woman. Uh, Jimi Hendrix died around the same time, age 27. Janis Joplin died around the same time, age 27. All these, it's the 27 Club. Mm-hmm. And the entire culture there, I definitely say, about 1962 to 1970. Some of my favorite music comes from that time. Uh, especially since uh, we're a blues band, right? Yeah. Never Monday. Check us out, Never Monday Band at uh, at Never Monday Band on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. We also have a podcast right here on Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, uh, called Talk and Smack with Never Monday. So check that out if you like music. Um, but we're a blues band, and we all of us, we just absolutely love the blues, all of us in the group, and uh, my personal influences in the blues come from this time, you know, bands like Cream, and uh, of course Jimi Hendrix, and mm-hmm. The Doors, and all, all playing blues, uh, Rolling Stones, you know, all playing blues music in a very high octane sort of way, it's essentially what we do too. Yeah. So. What about you? Do you have any favorite bands from the time? Um, I'm not really good at doing the whole time period thing. Um, a lot of my favorite music comes from the 80s and 90s uh, because that's what my parents listened to when they were young, and so I remember all of it. It's like kind of like my childhood, uh, like Blink-182 and Nirvana and uh, Sum 41. All those pop-punk groups. Yep. Yeah. Bowling for Soup. <laughs> Bowling for Soup. That's a little bit later, but yeah. Green Day. Green Day, yeah. Yeah. All right, well, that's about it. I hope that we did a good job of uh, pulling back a little bit of the whitewashing mm-hmm. of history. Um, maybe not as much as I would have liked, but you know, we only have so much time for our podcast. Yeah, I think that kind of sums it all up. Uh, so thanks for listening. Um, again, I'm Elliot McAvoy, and here with Stephen Mathias. Um, we'll see you later. Bye.